Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. There we go. I was uh, at uh, some meetings this week for a couple of days in Alberta, and I'm glad I don't live there. <laughs> I love so many people in Alberta, but I, it was like minus eight and the snow and the wind, and I was like, ah. but then we get 37 days straight of rain, so I guess it probably all equals out. But you know what? Even in the weather, I was so pleased, uh, and I wanted to let you know that our Youth, many of our youth, I don't know, it was 18 or 20 of them, on Friday night were doing some, a fundraiser with Youth Unlimited where they slept outside with no tent on the, uh, on the ground or in a parking lot or something like that, uh, not just for fun. That's not a new youth event. Uh, but actually because they were raising money for youth who might be experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness to help other youth. I think that's good. Right? Fantastic. And not, not only was the act of them going out and doing that, sleeping outside, which uh, I would not be down for. Um, I don't know how many of them are here this morning or are, are now got a cold, but they're, we're so grateful for that. But they also raised over $4,000. Yeah. So well done. Thank you to Alexandra and Caleb, our youth coordinators, and all the youth that went out and raised money and did all that. Now I know you can raise money. That's good to know. <laughs> Get you on the team. Uh, when I grew up in a small town in, uh, uh, in the middle of the, or the eastern side of the province called Nacusp, I, I did not like nighttime. Uh, because often when I would go to sleep, I would have nightmares. Or anybody was like that, had nightmares or vivid dreams that were, would be not PG or something like that, be frightening you. Uh, that was me. And I'd often wake up with a start. And my room would be pitch dark. And we lived out in the country. And then you hear things outside. And, and you start to imagine things. Because darkness causes you to imagine things that may not even be there. You think you see something. The light comes through the window and hits the... The, the blanket on your uh, table over is just right. It makes it look like a big witch or something like that. You're just, because darkness in, affects our vision. We can't see things as clearly or correctly in the dark. That's just the reality. And in our world today, uh, there are many dark things happening. And I think many of us would say, well, these are dark times. I haven't seen things like this for many, many years. Maybe personally, and I know per, that many people are struggling through many different things in our personal lives, in our families, from marriage issues to relational issues to people uh, getting difficult prognosis from the doctor, people that are fighting through uh, um, anxiety and fighting through depression and, and trying to find their way, people working through disappointments and, and seeming like nothing is happening or you're stuck or it's not, you're not where you thought you would be. And then we look at what's happening in our world today, where good is called evil and evil is called good. And we see things that even a decade ago we would have thought, there's no way that that would happen in our day and in our time. And there seems to be, a, in so many spaces, darkness seems to be winning the day. We see wars in Gaza and Israel between two parties that are causing us to wonder if it will go wider we see the craziness is Iran going to get a nuclear weapon. We see it, Russia and Ukraine fighting and different places in Africa. There's wars and Afghanistan went through an earthquake recently. And then in our own city, we have literally every year hundreds of people overdosing in our streets. We have people who don't have enough food to eat. We have people that are sleeping outside, have no way to, to, to provide for themselves. We have increasing food prices, and so far, are you encouraged? So far, our, our, our rent, if you can find a place to rent, the rent goes up, and housing costs are going up, and food costs are going up. Uh, all kinds of things that might cause us to go, wow, it's, it's really dark, Craig. It's challenging times. And how you perceive darkness is incredibly important. 
Because if you view, view it as a permanent state, you will live a certain way. Some people want to withdraw from darkness. Some people want to curse the darkness. Some people want to just pretend it's not there. And so we look at the darkness of the world around us, maybe the world cl right close to us in our home, maybe there's all kinds of stuff going on in our own personal life, and we look at all of that going on and how we interact with it, how we engage with it, it is incredibly important. And we've been talking about some of the ways that we do that, and we're gonna do that a little bit more today. But as Jesus followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, he models the way to approach and interact with darkness. He shows the way. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Thank you that your word is quick and powerful. I thank you by the, by the goodness of your Holy Spirit that you will take what I've said and sometimes even what I've not said and you will personalize it to our hearts. So we say, Lord, speak to us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to our church but also to us as individuals. In the strong name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 35 and go through to the first verse of chapter 10. If you, I'm going to read it in the New International Version. You can follow along. It might, it'll be on the Sky Bible as well in a moment. And it begins like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw, somebody say, he sees. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, that's to you, to me, to the disciples, to the apprentices, to the followers, to the ones who say that he's their master, their Lord. He says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. The people were harassed and helpless, harassed, bothered, helpless, hopeless, irritated, running, hiding, in so many ways, living under the oppression of the enemy. And Jesus shows us an approach of how we engage with darkness. We don't run from it, we don't hide from it, we don't retreat from it, we don't simply curse it, we don't just rebuke it, but like Jesus models the way, the generous posture of Jesus is that he goes to dark places. He goes to dark places. How many of you are glad that Jesus once came to you in a dark place? This is such an encouraging thing that Jesus went where the problems were. So if you are having problems today, know that Jesus is not intimidated by the problem that you're in. He's not intimidated by the depth of your story. He's not the one who runs. He comes to you when everybody else is running from you. He comes towards you. He goes to spots of pain. He doesn't avoid the tough spot. He does not withdraw from us. Even when we blow it and we're caught in, in addiction and sin, he comes towards us. He doesn't say clean up. He says, I'm coming to clean you up. He doesn't withdraw from dark spaces. He goes to dark spaces. And I love this next spot. It says he went to all the towns and villages. No place of darkness is too hard for Jesus. Now, sometimes when I look at the downtown east side, I'm like, it's over a million dollars a day in social services go down into that area of our greater Vancouver, the downtown east side. And yet it still is littered with all kinds of stuff, let alone all the human tragedy that is represented behind every person that is living on the street, every person that is caught in drug addiction, every person that is seemingly out there with so many issues going on. 
Behind every person is somebody that has a story that never dreamed that their life would be in the space that it's in. And Jesus comes to every space and place of trouble in our province, in our nation, in the world, in our home, in our city, wherever he's invited, wherever his people are, he is there, right there in dark places. No place of darkness is too hard for Jesus. That family member is not too hard for Jesus. They're too hard for you, and you need to maybe back off a little bit and let Jesus do what he can do, but they're not too hard for Jesus. The downtown east side is not too hard for Jesus. Central Surrey is not too hard for Jesus. Your marriage is not too hard for Jesus. He's coming in, and there is no place that he avoids no bar that he doesn't walk into, no enemy of the cross that is too far gone. Canada is not beyond a move of God. Amen, clap, if we're gonna clap for that, let's clap. Yes, Canada is not beyond a move of God. And we see that Jesus healed every disease and sickness and it reminds us that no power of darkness is too hard for Jesus. There is no addict that is too far gone for Jesus. There is no marriage that is too far gone for Jesus. There is no disease that stands in the way of Jesus. There is no home that Jesus cannot restore. And you're like, well, I know all kinds of stories. I'm just telling you what Jesus is, what is possible with Jesus, that there is no depression that is too strong for him, that anxiety does not have to have the final word, that the pain of our past does not have to determine the future that we walk into, that nothing is impossible for Jesus. He might heal you in a moment. He might heal you over time. He might heal you by taking you home, but Jesus is a healer of people. He's a healer of, of troubled minds. He's a healer of broken families. He's a healer of people who don't know which way to turn. He's the heal, healer of everyone that would say, I call on the name of Jesus. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. So Jesus went to dark places. He went to every dark place and he still goes to dark places, and there is no place that's too strong for him, no power that's too great for him. And so why did he go? It's nice that he went, but why did he go? Because our motivation is incredibly important because out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what's going on in our heart is incredibly important, and Jesus shows us what was motivating him. When he saw the crowds harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, what did he do? It says he, was, he had compassion, or another translation says he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless. See, when you read in scripture that he was moved with compassion, it's just a few words in our English language, but it carries the meaning of a deeply heartfelt, almost like an emotion that leads to action, like getting hit in the gut, you know, and like, oh, it bothers me so much. And it grabbed him in his heart because he saw it was a horror. It was a horror that Satan had deceived so many people. It is, it is a horror that Satan has so many people caught in bondage and addiction. It is a horror that Satan is wreaking havoc in the lives of people. It is a horror in so many spaces. And he came and he said, I'm not just gonna look at it. I'm not just gonna be aware of it. But he began to move into it. He reacted to help. He reacted to undo the wrong. He reacted to heal the broken. He came to heal, uh, set at liberty those oppressed of the devil. And in our own lives, there are some times where we can think that Jesus sees it, but he is not prepared to do anything. And I'm here to remind you that not only does he see, not only does he feel, but he invades our spaces with his very presence and says, I am with you, as Ryan even said a few moments ago. When something hurts you, Jesus is moving towards you in compassion. I was in my late 20s, and I read this passage in this verse, and it grabbed my heart because I realized that I didn't live life that way. I saw all kinds of issues, and I was moved with judgment. I was moved, moved with apathy. I was moved with condemnation. 
I was moved with ignorance. I was not moved with compassion. I was moved with a, to point my finger. I was moved to have smug pride that I'm not one of those people, the struggling ones, the ones scattered, harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me. I say that as a nice way. If, if he had sitting beside me, he would have cuffed me on the ear. He does that with me sometimes, figuratively speaking, to get my attention. And I asked Jesus to help me because I knew my heart was out of order. And if you had followed me around, I attended church every week. I was involved in ministry. I prayed, I read my Bible, and my own heart was not aligned with God and with God's heart for people. And so I said, Lord, please help me, forgive me. And I took an opportunity. I got around people that were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I began to volunteer at a local youth custody center where kids who were in jail from 13 to 17 years old and did chapel with them and sat with them and listened to them, heard their story, heard, heard the stuff that helps you to understand why they are where they are. And then not long after that, I moved into a, working in a nonprofit social service agency, working with youth that were on their last chance before jail in a residential treatment program or on their last step on their way back to be integrated out of, out of the uh, correctional system, trying to find their way back. I think of people, suddenly statistics mean nothing, but people do. And that's what Jesus was reminding us. See, I remember Nicole, when I met her at 16, blonde haired, little slip of a thing. She had been picked up on the streets of Vancouver for prostitution. I've been prostituting herself since she was 13 and a half years old. When she was 12, a man in uh, <clears throat> Hastings Park approached her and her sister. She said, Craig, I, I never dreamed in one moment. I dreamed of a, a white dress and getting married. I dreamed of, I played Barbie dolls and, and I dreamed of going, having a career and all that. But here this man came to me and he said, do you want to try one of these? And it was some drugs and slowly got her hooked until then he became her pimp and was prostituting and selling her on the street. When I met her at 16, and she said, I'll probably go back to it because I don't have anywhere else to go. Not statistics. They're not just people. It's all of us. All of us were at one time trapped in darkness without hope in the world but Jesus. And I began to see people differently. I saw them like sheep without a shepherd. That there was an enemy, the devil and his minions, who was harassing, brutalizing, victimizing, killing, stealing, destroying, hating, hurting the people. Victims of an enemy that hated them, bringing pain and grief and sorrow. And now people respond out of that. Do they still responsible for their response? Yes, but it helps us to understand where people came from and their story that got them to where they were or where they are. Helps to understand where you are when someone hears your story. Our story is incredibly important. And it's in moments like this where Jesus is moved with compassion to see that there is hope in the world for the people that darkness does not have the final say. I still choose to believe that good will overcome evil. I still choose to believe that light came into the world and the darkness could not understand it and darkness could not overcome light. I still choose to believe that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I still choose to believe that the Spirit of God is moving in the world and I'm believing God for a move in our world, in our city, in our time. And I'm gonna pray for it until I see it or I'll pray for it so that my children see it or my grandchildren see it. Because we need Jesus. And Jesus 
does these things, his heart is moved. And then he says this interesting thing. He calls a prayer meeting. He says, guys, the harvest is ready. Ready. What if we changed our perspective? Instead of saying that the darkness is winning, what if we're on the precipice of a breakthrough harvest? That was Jesus' perspective. He just finished saying, they're harassed, they're helpless, sheep without a shepherd, and there's an opportunity for an outbreak of God. What if our perspective was that? And we looked at the world with hope. And we believe God, that he's still able. We sang it today. Is it words or is it our belief structure? You are more than able. And then Jesus calls this prayer meeting. You need to be careful if you're in a prayer meeting with Jesus. He says, guys, let's pray about this. Let's pray that the Lord in this beautiful harvest field called Surrey or called Langley or called Metro Vancouver or Canada or wherever we're going, let's pray that the Lord would send forth laborers. And they're praying, oh God, we're asking that you would send forth laborers. We're praying that your kingdom would come. God, touch somebody's heart. God, that you would move in a powerful way. And they open their eyes and the prayer meeting's finished and suddenly Jesus says, hey, Kels, you're the answer to a prayer. Go, let's go. And he begins to move around the room and calls people by name and says there's a spot and a place for you in the kingdom and the movement that God wants to do in the world. And we are not nameless, faceless people that have no spot or place in God's kingdom. But everything, even as he called them by name, is because he had an assignment for them. And God would call every one of us by name and say, son, say, daughter, I've been working in your life and you're still a work in progress, I get that but there is more for you and I wanna use you in the harvest field, but God, I don't got it all together. Can you pray? Yep, have you accepted me? Yes, okay, son. Let's begin to take people further. Let's begin to believe that God would use you. And there is a shift that begins to happen because first he says to them, I wanna pray for workers, and then he says, I want you to be a worker. As soon as the prayer was prayed, he called his disciples to go as workers. He called and he still calls us to be ones that would, and we talked about this, this is far more than money, but it's certainly money, to be ones that would be bold with our, our thinking, it would be kind with our resources, with our uh, influence, with, with a smile, with whatever we have been given that we would be generous in, in a world that needs to see hope and love and kindness of God that we would live differently. So compassion might first move our hearts, but true compassion will eventually move our feet and our hands. And I'm gonna tell a few stories today of Uganda, of our city, and then of Thailand. And we're gonna move through the next 15 or 20 minutes. Father's Heart Mobility Ministry in Uganda, Adrian and Francis Maguanya started it. Francis, knows firsthand what it's like to crawl around on the dirt and be looked down upon because he couldn't walk. And he crawled through the dust, but his life was forever changed when he was given his first wheelchair at the age of 12. And knowing Jesus and believing in God transformed the way he thought about himself. And instead of a victim, he became an overcomer because of the power of Jesus working within him. And as a young adult, from his own meager earnings, he would save up money to buy wheelchairs for other people who were just like he had been. And over time, he began to, God began to put on his heart and donors began to give to it and things began to happen. And since 2011, the work of Father's Heart Mobility has given over 20,000 people in Uganda mobility, people that were crawling around on the dirt. And their goal is to share the love of Jesus with people with disabilities and empower them with the value and potential that they have in God. To give people with disabilities an aid to mobility, to maximize their potential. To train pastors on the issues of disability, that people who have issues that cause them to not maybe have physical issues or, or mental issues or whatever, that they still are loved by God and have a part in the family of God. And so they began to raise public awareness on the causes of it and advocate for the inclusion of those with disability. And I know many of you give towards their personal support. Now we wanna share a video on the screen 
about Uganda, Father's Heart Mobility. Mobility. Everyone wants to move. No one wants to be left behind. That's the story of Jordan. He has been moving using an open jerry can, moving with his friends, going to play. It's a struggle for many people in Uganda. Born like any other child, he has cerebral palsy. He's not able to walk, he's not able to speak verbally, but he's able to use sign. Today, we bring him a gift of mobility from Father's Heart Mobility Ministry, together with our partners, Free Wheelchair Mission. Father's Heart is all about mobility. How can we help the people in the community move? We desire that everyone should not have to grow, even the people who cannot afford it. Jordan's story is like many others in the community, and it's up to us to change a life like Jordan's, could you do something? Yeah. Amen. What a powerful story. Um, we'll talk more about how we can give to that in the next, uh, at the end of today and next week. But here we have uh, with us Loretta Hibbs and Joe, I forget your last I'll say Joe because I didn't hear the rest of that. Uh, from City Dream Center. And you'll notice that we tend to partner with people who are already doing a lot of stuff. And then we don't have to figure everything out. But people who are already God's touched their heart and are doing great things in the world and in our city, we tend to partner with people that are like-minded, like-hearted. So Loretta uh, started City Dream Center a number of years ago. Give, seven years ago already. Give, give the Coles note story of how that happened because I always love to hear that. And, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I worked at a church actually just up the street here. I was working in women's ministry. This is probably 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And my pastor said, you're out of women's ministry, you're into community. Answer this question, if our doors were going to close tomorrow, would anybody in the community notice? And I thought, wow, I have no idea. Would anybody care who doesn't attend this church if the doors closed? So I thought we'd, I'd go and uh, go to the school board and ask about maybe... Um, I don't know, we'll paint a classroom, we'll adopt a school, we'll do something. I went to the school board, they began to tell me that I couldn't just adopt one school, I had to adopt four schools because the need was so big, and I thought the need's so big, that's just really strange. And after that, I met with the four principals, and um, I was a wreck when I left there because I realized 10 minutes from where I live that kids were going to bed hungry, they didn't have proper coats or boots for winter. I could not believe that was happening in our own um, in our own city. And so about three years after that, I've, I've always had Dream Center in my heart. When I was little, the Los Angeles Dream Center, I would take my kids, I have four kids, and we'd take them to the Los Angeles Dream Center and we'd serve there before we took the kids to Disneyland. So I've always had a heart for what the Dream Center does. And so we started the Dream Center. It's been seven years. I'm no longer at staff at Relate, but I am... Now working full-time for City Dream Center, and we started it seven years ago, and I'm the founder and president, so who knew? <laughs> Move with compassion. God is, God is good, yeah. But it's more than just adopted schools. We'll come back to that in a moment, because there's, like, parenting classes. There's Yeah, we work in the preventative, which is our adopted school program, helping the kids to see a different way, and then we work restoratively with kids, people that are in both federal and provincial prisons and also in recovery with our anger management courses, our boundaries, our parenting. We've graduated close to 1,000 women from that course alone, the parenting course. Wow. And of course, the 700 men 
from the parenting course alone. And that's not including the boundaries and the anger management. We actually just lost, launched anger management this last spring. And um, yeah, now the courts have recognized the certificate and many of those people have been able to get supervised visitation with their children once they complete the course. Fantastic. So, and we also run a dental bus, which is about the restorative. I have, come on guys, stand up. This is Ron and Wendy Gaudet. And Ron's a dentist. And this is Wendy, and they are, have become our very good friends because they're directors of our City Care Dental. They just did an event yesterday for Wagner Hills, and we give free dentistry. We don't just pull teeth. We, like I'm a dentist, Ron and I, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we don't just pull teeth. We actually are about restoring people's smiles. And um, that's the restorative side, giving people dignity, value, and hope for the future. And the way, I think, what, six years ago, I went to a school with you to yes. do an adopt-a-school. And the principal sat w across from us with his arms crossed and was not happy. Somebody from, I think, the school district said he had to take a yeah, meeting he, with me. <laughs> we have actually had such favor with the school board. It's been incredible. You know, people say, oh, you, you can't get into the schools. And honestly, we've been able to, for years now, be able to share the Christmas story in, in public schools doing assembly, hand out gifts to kids, it's been phenomenal. But the school board, they, um, they contact us and we have found such favor. So they found this school that really needed help. So they called the principal at uh, okay. George Vanier and said, you have to meet with these people. <laughs> and they were like, he was like, no, I'm sure he was an atheist. But I think pretty sure that you, you planted so many seeds that we won him over at the end. He sat there By with the his end, arms was, crossed and had an attitude. He, he throws, our, throws the keys to us when we came in and just so open because of the generosity of gifts. And we'll talk more about with, I think the principal is going to be, might be here next week, but we're working oh, on her. It's such a story. Uh, different lady, uh, but just a powerful thing. One of the things that Joe helps with, I think you do a lot, with the hampers. Um, and you've been working with us on that. Tell us a little bit about how the hamper program works because we started out just at Christmas and now we're like all year round. All year round, yeah. So we're right now in the middle of our, what we call our weekend feeding and um, it's grown immensely. And, uh, and with, with the schools that are like George Vanier is one, we're a total of 14 elementary schools here in the Surrey district. And our weekend feeding provides weekend hamper to families that just need that support on the weekend uh, with food. And even though most of these children do get provided breakfast and lunch within the breakfast and lunch program in the schools, they still suffer on putting nutritious and healthy meals or even meals on the table throughout the weekend. So this is, enables them to able to get meals for them uh, over the weekend. And the testimonies that we're getting back from the schools is that now the children can cognitively function Monday morning. So they're not hungry in the morning. And so they can actually improve in their school marks and their marks have improved. So we just love that testimony right there. 100%. Yeah. It's such a practical thing that's going to help them in all their life. Like how many meals would that be in a weekend? Like 20? Like I, I remember. Yeah. I remember. So we started small now as of, because what Loretta just said about the school board, we just met with the school board again last week. And the need has grown immensely. So of all the organizations out there, they met with us and they said, how can we partner a little more with you? So now they're backing up a number of new hampers, their families, new schools that we're going to. So now we're bumping it up to four more schools. So now we'll be 18 schools altogether. So what we provide is uh, enough for a family of four or to five is enough to make two breakfasts, two lunch, two dinner. So we're looking at about, right now, with the hampers that we're adding on, about 220 hampers every week. So we're looking at about 1,000 people that we're feeding. So we're looking at 6,000 meals every single week that can be provided onto families' homes throughout the weekend. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a simple thing. You already answered one of my questions, but there are some of you that help out with hampers. Just stand up real quick. Jeff and Shirley do kind of point person and rope people in. Stand up and thank you. Keep standing up. They're helping. And we also, some RCA students, our Christian school, help to organize it and pack it together. So church and school and an organization like that together to help meet needs in our city. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful. It's amazing what we can do when we don't care who gets the credit. Right. Just let exactly. Jesus be glorified exactly. in it all. Yeah.
Um, how many schools would be classified as inner city right now in Surrey? Do you remember that number offhand? There's 32 elementary schools and um, about 25 high schools in Surrey alone. Oh, so like 57 or so, yeah. if I got that right. Schools that are uh, at a certain line with certain challenges, with uh, there's a whole metric that they go through to say these are what are classified as inner city yeah, schools. Yeah, they call them, used to be inner city, they're always changing the wording, now it's high need schools. High need schools. Is the proper term. So real people, again, with real uh, issues, and we're, the City Dream Center is really working hard, and I know other organizations like Mackey Place, other ones like that, that are working around the city to do preventative work, and nobody's in competition. Mm -hmm. There's more than enough need to go around, unfortunately, in our city to, if we continue to work together, night shift does things and- Can uh, I just share one Yeah, story? go ahead, of course. There's one lady that we're working with. Um, I actually met her at Surrey Pretrial. She ended up in federal prison for about six years. She had a little boy that was six years old. And um, she ends up getting out after the boy's probably about 14. And she works really hard to get him back into her life. And she ends up marrying, this guy, so I, we've worked with her all through the years of being in and helping to reintegrate back into society, get her child back. She runs her parenting, she does all, everything like that. And just this last May, so she ends up marrying this great guy and she ends up with five children and, and her eldest son, because she ends up, her last kids were twins. And um, three of them have autism. And one of them has, um, it's like Asperger's. It's like she's kind of in a wheelchair. She can sometimes walk. It's just, anyway, it's, it's tragic. And her, her father died two months in, too much prior to this, but so which would have been probably March or April, I guess March. And then in May, her husband, the night before her father's funeral, ended up dying. So she's got five children. And, um, she is absolutely a miracle. She has, we've, we help her with hampers every single week. We help her in whatever ways that we can. But you know what? Some people just need, like the stories out there are so tragic. But we get to point them to Jesus and we get to, to give them food every week. And something as simple as delivering a hamper to somebody like that is just to say we see you and we care. It's, sometimes it's not even about the food. It's just we see you and we're ca we care. I can't, I can't do all this stuff for you. I can't pay your rent. I can't do all the things that maybe you need. But we see you and we care. And we'll we'll feed you every week. We'll we'll help you in whatever way we can. And those are the stories that we hear regularly on an ongoing basis of families that are it's tragic, but we get to point them to Jesus. Fantastic. Those are the real life stories that are in our city happening all the time. Uh, and that's the one that where someone is being able to be touched, and there's lots of others that we need to continue to do uh, our part in the city. Daniel, if you want to come, and I'm just going to ask you to pray over uh, Loretta and Joe and City Dream Center, and invite you, family, to stretch your hand towards them. Just so you know, your generosity last year uh, to that school meant between twenty and twenty-five thousand meals. That's awesome. Twenty to twenty-five thousand meals last year from here. Not all those ones from here. Well done. Go ahead. Thanks. Father, we just thank you. Uh, that, Lord, your heart is for the hurt and the broken. Lord, we don't, we don't come at this as, oh, it's a good thing that we should help those that are hurting. Lord, we recognize that we were first hurting. Lord, I just felt as, as I was asked to pray that the Lord said there has been a, a digging of the well, that when there's needs, there, it, it's been work, and you guys have been faithful to do that work, faithful to do that work, and you're finding the, the donors and finding the churches and finding this, and, and, and I just saw as this well was digging, there was just a bit of water, a bit of water, and I felt like the Lord said, you're about to cross a line where a spring's going to begin to come up that when it comes to the needs, that donors are going to come to you, that, it's, that you have shown yourself faithful, you've shown yourself resourceful, that you've shown yourself approved uh, before the Lord and before men. 
And I feel like the Lord says, I'm bringing your reputation to ears and businessmen and boardrooms and tables that you don't even, you would never get a chance to go into, but they're going to begin to hear what is happening. And I saw this well that there was a, enough water to feed just a little bit. And it was like the shovel went down and all of a sudden what was hard work, just the momentum from underneath began to spring up. So Father, we call forth, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, for your kingdom's sake, for the city of Surrey, for the lower mainland, Lord, we just stand in faith and say, God, would you do it? Lord, would you surprise us with creative miracles? Father, we understand that nothing is impossible for you. And so God, we thank you for Joe. We thank you for Loretta. We thank you for the work of the City Dream Center. God, we pray that you continue to bless, you continue to open doors that your name, Father, might be made great. And Lord, I pray that you would lift up the weary shoulders and the tired hands. And Lord, we just, we remind ourselves to take our worries and our cares, we bring them to you. So God, in any area where they may be weary, where their, their knees are sore from a prayer that they might be getting tired of praying, God, we thank you that you're here, that you're close, you're not unaware, and you're working on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you give them a great hand? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Wonderful. So many great things happening in our city for the sake of the kingdom of God. We also, moving on, we... We do some work with a partner with the Church of Thailand, hundreds of churches in Thailand that we partner with uh, to, to plant churches in Canada, or in Canada, in Thailand. It's a partnership between Canadian businesses, between the Church of Thailand and churches in uh, North America. And we each take about a third of the cost of planting one church, a third of the cost. So a church, to plant a church in Thailand costs about $1,000. That's good. That's a good deal. And these are not transfer. These are people being one to Jesus. You're going to see in a moment. But I want to tell you that over the, uh, the last, this is our third year, uh, we have to finalize our commitment, but we committed a, a hundred church plants. So that was $30,000 and we've done it, done it. This is our final year to close it out, $10,000. Uh, but you know, sometimes we see, when we've seen some of the pictures of baptisms and it's fantastic, but I wanted, I, I said, guys, could they, could they get me some actual stories of people? So I have a few. This is Mrs. Payne. She's 51 years old up in Northern Thailand. Before I came to believe in Jesus, my husband had a heavy alcohol addiction and he was physically and emotionally abusive toward me. I was deeply distressed to the point where I wished to end my own life. But one day a Christian came and shared the story of Jesus, the great helper who can bring salvation. I made the decision to pray and follow Jesus for, and ask him for help in my family. Jesus has transformed my husband into a new person. Today, my husband has quit drinking. He's returned to take care of the family. Jesus is my refuge when I felt there was no way out. Wow. This is Mr. New. He's 26 years old. He said, I tried to find happiness on my own, doing everything I could, but I couldn't find any joy in life before I knew Jesus. I counted, encountered nothing but disappointment and couldn't figure out how to escape it. I was utterly unhappy and believed that the best way out was to take my own life. Until one day, I met Jesus. I opened my heart to him and began to pray. I experienced his love and discovered a genuine community of Christians who were sincere in their care for each other, something I had never encountered before. Jesus is love. And even when no one else loved me, he didn't abandon me. My life regained hope and happiness, and I found the best way, Jesus Christ. Mrs. Boone, 52 years old. I had heard about Jesus, but I had never cared about him. However, I had a life crisis, harassed and helpless. I had been ill with, a word, ill with cystis, cystitis. I don't know, I'm not going to. I don't think the translation worked well. I had been ill with this disease, with swollen kidneys, with uh, drug-resistant bloodstream infections. And at that time, I was very stressed, unable to find hope or a way out. Until one day, I had the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus through a church planter. They said to me that Jesus could heal. 
So then I prayed for Jesus to heal me. My body is getting better and better, and my doctor told me I am completely healed. Now I have a peace that I have never received in my life. Been thousands this year, tens of thousands this year who have come to know Jesus, and our, we have a part to play in that. It's going to be fun to get to heaven, and that little bit that you contributed that you thought didn't do anything, and someone runs up to you in heaven and say, because you gave. And that's why someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, is it hard to ask for money? I said, it is hard to ask for money. It used to be. But then I understood that I have a responsibility to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves, to ask for people who don't have the platform that I do to speak up. So when I ask, and this is our whole series on legacy is not about making our name great. It's about that there will be a ripple effect out from here from our generosity of our time, of our, of our resources, of, of our words, of our, even our money. That there will be a ripple effect out from us for the name of Jesus. That by the time it touches someone's life, they may never know our name or see us or anything like that but that they would know Jesus. And the question of eternity is settled, that they would eat food, that they'd be able to get out of addiction, that all the things of all our partners that we work with, what a joy it is that Jesus would invite us in to partner with him and see lives changed and touched. The stories we heard today, the stories from Uganda, the stories from Thailand, the stories that we have heard over the last number of weeks. That means our response is generous. Like Jesus, we must be prepared to go wherever that is. And for some of you, that means going to the living room and discipling your kids right now. That's an important preventative work. It's not less than, it's not, that's a dark place to go sometimes when you're dealing with your own children. Wherever, that we must be prepared to go. That our posture is, God, I'm available to you. I'm not gonna sit and point the finger. I'm not gonna sit and judge. I'm not gonna sit and critique, but I'm available to you first. That has to be settled in our heart. And it's actually, the final word of Jesus in Matthew 28 and 19 and 20 said, go into all the world. Every one of us has a world that other people aren't aware of. Your work world, your extended family world, the soccer world, the curling world, the hockey, your poker game, I don't know. But we all have a world and Jesus calls us to go and he calls us to be prepared to go where he calls us to go. Be prepared to go and do what he calls us to do because we have an unchanging mission in an ever-changing world. And legacy is about doing our part and living our part in God's story. It means that we'll have an impact far beyond us, far beyond, even generationally beyond us. Because I can speak to that. Somebody took my grandmother to Salvation Army Sunday School where she came to know Jesus at, as, as a young girl. Somebody took her there. And it meant that my mother was raised in a different environment. And it meant that I was raised to know Jesus. I don't know who took my grandmother to Sunday School, but I'm grateful for it. Because they had a vision beyond themselves. It means that affecting people we might never meet, healing hurts, meeting needs, and making a difference with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Because we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. That's why together with God's help and all of your sacrificial generosity, together we raise tens of thousands of dollars in an inflationary economy God really dealt with me with, with me about this in the last couple of weeks because I've been tempted to lower my ask. And I can't. Because he's the provider. To feed people, 
to help widows, to help orphans, to give gifts to children, to plant life-giving churches, to advocate for people with disabilities, to see people heal, to see people delivered all through the power of Jesus. Legacy giving gives others a step up through the power of Jesus. It's living the life we are all created for because God is a giver. And that means I am a giver. It's living the life that we were designed for, bigger than ourselves, bigger than our ability, bigger than our own strength. This is a question I want you to take away with you. Will you allow Jesus to move you with compassion? And I want you to really seriously ask God what it means for you to, to allow him to move you, to move you financially, to move you to be more generous in your, yes, in your giving, but also with your time, that I am available for you, Jesus. There's a harvest field that is white unto harvest. And it might mean just getting to know your next door neighbor. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go sell everything unless the Lord tells you to sell everything and give it to City Dream Center. I don't know if that was for somebody. <laughs> So you're going to get one of these on the way out. It's a little, little legacy card. It says an unchanging mission and ever changing world. And it shares on the back a little bit of the things, uh, some of the things that we do as a church together for Jesus. And uh, I really want you to be praying about what you're going to give. Some of you will give and you will give big and strong. Some of you are going to be tithers and become tithers for the first time. Some of you are gonna move from being emotional givers to being strategic givers and on and on and on. And also, you can get these at the Welcome Center called the Legacy Pledge. Some of you are gonna be making a pledge to say, God, by your grace, I'm gonna give, plan to give this much over the next year. I'm planning going into 2024 with a different mindset leaving a legacy for Jesus. At my left, your right, there's a little basket. We're gonna take the offering here. So if you wanna reach over and grab that, if you're on the end of the row underneath, on my left, your right, I'm gonna pray and as the basket is going around. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity it is to be a giver and to see your good works. We're grateful for what you have already done in the stories that we've heard, the lives that are being touched, because of the generosity in this house, because of people who have made a decision to put you first in their finances. And Lord, I pray that you would be, help us to be generous in every area of our life with what we have in our hand, that we would be generous, recognizing that you are the source of every good and perfect gift. And it's our privilege and our honor to, to be able to partner with you in seeing lives changed and families transformed and cities transformed and neighborhoods transformed and nations transformed by the power of and through the gospel. In your name we pray, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.